Are you interested in free theological training? Our flagship sponsor, Midwestern Seminary, offers free theological training through their For the Church Institute. This semester, they launched three new classes, New Testament 1 and New Testament 2 with Dr. Patrick Schreiner and Missional Leadership with Dr. Charles Smith. Both have been guests of the show. These classes, along with others they offer, The Story of Everything with Jared Wilson, The Trinity with Dr. Matthew Barrett, and more are all free and accessible to you, your community group, or your church to complete at your own pace. You can learn more and sign up to begin at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Again, that's mbts.edu slash knowingfaith for some free theological training from Midwestern Seminary. Go check it out. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church. This is Kyle Worland. I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Jen. Hey, man. How's it going? You're wearing a hat today, JT. You 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 are a hat guy. I'm kind of becoming more of a hat guy. I'm, I'm, we're, we were recording this in the morning, and I went on a walk this morning. And I wanted some, you know, sun, but I didn't want too much sun. So I put a hat on and then just jumped on the podcast. Okay. Now, Jen, are you a hat lady? I can be a hat lady because I'm a shade queen. I have a oh. history of skin cancer. And so okay. I basically wear a wetsuit anytime I'm going to the beach. And okay. I am known for wearing ridiculous hats so that I will okay. not get in the sun. I'm okay, also so vitamin you're... D deficient for all of our listeners, which should be no okay. surprise after what I just told you. So uh, when you say, say ridiculous hat, like, is this like a wide brimmed kind of situation we got going on here? No, they're bucket hats. I go for bucket hats because they're packable. Yeah. And so now I have been ridiculed on this podcast before for referring to what JT currently has on his head as a ball cap. And yeah. I have to tell you that wow, in the that intervening space, in the intervening, I'm still bitter about it. In the intervening space, I have paid very close attention to how many other people refer to that as a ball cap. And I want you to vindicate me in this moment. No, I mean, you hear what you no. already believe more closely that than you. That is so wrong. You guys Just are Just because mean. you hear someone say it wrong doesn't make it right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I, I definitely like... Even in me asking JT, I didn't say, now, JT, you're a real ball cap kind of guy. I said, you're a real hat Well, I'm a real ball player kind of guy, Kyle. Yeah. Here we go. Well, or just um, because you heard someone someone in their pronunciation of Old Testament cities say, shit team <laughs> doesn't make it right. <laughs> it's not like, see, I told you. That's true. Uh, that is true. Engineer Brad was sending me some like Knowing Faith swag uh, mock-ups and he sent me one of a hat and it's a cool looking hat. I didn't jump on it immediately because, and I've told you guys before, I look like a, like, I look like a psychopath with a hat. Like without a hat, I feel like, oh, Prove that's it. a normal guy. The Prove moment it. you put, the moment you put a hat on me, you're like, that dude, I'm not sitting next to that guy on the bus. Um, but I, but you know, he, I, you wore a hat in Israel every day, and I thought that I was like, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna give Kyle a little space today. No, honestly, I do not wear hats well. You know who wears hats super well? Kenny Chesney. He wears them so well that when he takes off the hat, you're like, whoa, you were lying to me the whole time. Because I, I don't know <laughs> if we have any guy. Kenny Chesney fans, but here's a soapbox for you. Kenny Chesney with a hat. That's a ten out of ten. Good looking man. He takes that hat off, and you're like, whoa. 
<laughs> if I hope Kenny is not a listener of this podcast because you just said Kenny, a very if you are, mean we'd thing. love to have you on. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you are Kenny Chesney or you're, if you're in Kenny Ch- Chesney's community, just let or him know. Family, mm-hmm. yeah, or family. Big fan, big fan of the songs. <laughs> you keep just the call hat him on. an ugly man when no, he's hatless. I'm just saying, keep the hat it was on. The my first brother. concert I ever went to, I went to a Kenny really? Chesney Tim McGraw concert. Yeah, first really? concert I went to. <laughs> As like a, as like more of an adult, like yeah, I drove there. It was the first concert I drove to. It was the first <laughs> concert I drove to. Okay, we gotta get I, like, we're gonna be canceled we by the, ch- the, the yeah. you know the Kenny Chesney fans. They call themselves chess heads, so I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble with the chess heads out there. You know. Uh, okay, so we are dealing with Exodus, and we are looking today at the Passover. We've been following along with this story. And the story so far is Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They settled there, if you if you will remember, because Joseph got there. And then a famine struck the land. But because of Joseph's visions and dreams, or uh, the interpretation of uh, Pharaoh's visions and dreams, and his wise and prudent leadership, they had stocked up. And so Egypt really becomes the breadbasket, so to speak, in a world at famine. And Israel is one of the many groups. Uh, that seems to have settled there during that time in order to have access to provision. They settle there, but they don't just settle there. They're not just survive. They end up thriving in Egypt and multiplying to such a degree that the Pharaoh, after the Pharaoh who knew Joseph, comes along and is like, they're way too strong. We've got to kill them. And then when that doesn't work, there's an enslavement that goes on. That enslavement becomes even more stringent. Um, And they cry out to God. The God of the covenants hears them and remembers them. We talked about that in a previous episode and then begins to orchestrate a deliverance plan that is uh, kind of working through the deliverer, Moses. Last episode, we discussed the plague of darkness and the plague of the firstborn and the death of the firstborn. And, And right in the middle of the narrative on the death of the firstborn, we find the Passover event. Now, we didn't cover this in full last episode, and we're going to tread a little bit of what we've already kind of walked through uh, when it comes to the death of the firstborn because uh, we felt like the episode would be too big for us to accomplish all of this in one episode. So we split these up, even though in the course of the narrative, they're they're really happening at the same time. So we want to turn our attention to the Passover event. And to do that, I'm going to ask Jen, Jen, would you just be willing to read Exodus 12, verse 21 through verse 28? Well, yes, Kyle, let me turn there. It's the I second, have... it's the second book. Well, where do you want me to start? Verse 21 through 28. I got it. I got it. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Boom. Thank you, Jen. 
So when we get here to the Passover event, what are we really talking about? Let's just give a high-level overview as to what is happening here. And then like we've been doing in other episodes, we'll start to explore how themes that emerge here we find elsewhere in Scripture. So Jen, you just read it. Give us the high-level overview. What is the Passover? I think we sometimes, because we hear about the Passover more than the rest of the story, um, we forget that the Passover is the is is a is a feature of the tenth and final plague in the in the plague cycles, and so um, it is God's ultimate statement on who is Yahweh uh, out of all of the ten plagues. Um, in the plague of darkness, He demonstrates that He is Lord over the light and the darkness. Pharaoh was identified with Ra, the sun god, and so it's an overturning of Pharaoh authority. And then in the final plague, we see, as we talked about in our last episode, God making a statement about the future of Egypt by by the slaying of the firstborn sons. He is effectively saying Egypt has no future. And then, um, as we also talked about in the, in the last episode, um, the slaying of the firstborn sons of Egypt is of Egypt is in direct response to um, Pharaoh's decree to slay the male children of Israel back in the beginning of our story. Yep. And so when we get to this Passover event, there is, uh, we, we talked about this in the last episode, there is a, a real emphasis here on blood. And there's an emphasis here on sacrifice. Mm-hmm. JT, why the blood? And it's okay if we retrace some of our steps from the last episode, but why the blood aren't sacrifices of blood barbaric? Doesn't this all just feel a little much? Yeah. I mean, the reason for blood is because the wages of sin is death. And so blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And we talked about in our last episode how that propitiates the wrath of God, which means that God's wrath is satisfied, and how it also expiates our uncleanliness and grants us righteousness and cleanliness. And the author of Hebrews says it this way, and we should say it with the same kinds of confidence, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. It's no longer the blood of bulls and goats and animals, but the blood of Christ, uh, which I know we're going to get to here in a little bit. But this blood of the Passover lamb or the blood of the firstborn is representative and significant because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins and there is no judgment. And in this story, what we're seeing is the judgment of God against sinners, and not just the forgetfulness of of sin towards God's people, but the actual forgiveness of sin through the shedding of blood of a sacrificial Passover lamb. And this Passover lamb isn't just, uh, the instructions here are an unblemished lamb, right? A spotless lamb. Mm -hmm. Why this emphasis on the purity of the lamb? All right, it's because it's like, we're looking for your best, not your worst, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We see this even in the uh, story of Cain and Abel, right? Yep. This is our this has already happened, That's and right. it is again a theme of offering sacrifice that you're going to find codified in the sacrificial laws uh, in uh, the back half of Exodus, Leviticus. Certainly, there is an emphasis on a few things. One, there's an emphasis on the prize of the offering, so to speak, mm-hmm. and the purity of the offering. Those are two things that are across the way that sacrifices are talked about. The value of the offering and the purity of the offering are tied together over and over and over again. 
And even in this, the Passover story, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The emphasis there is it is a highly valued, spotless lamb that you're offering. This is not what you don't want. It's what you absolutely want. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're asking you to sacrifice and to use as the blood covering over your doorposts. And I do think that this theme of offering right sacrifices is present all throughout the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes up in Hebrews and the Psalms. I think about even Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart on your bed and be silent. Offer right sacrifices mm-hmm. and put your trust in the Lord. There is an emphasis in this story of scripture. You think about um uh, David, when he's offered the land for free, says, I won't offer sacrifices to God that cost me nothing. So mm-hmm. he, he requires the purchase of the property. Why? Because in this, in the Israelite worldview, in the ancient worldview, and I think according to God's prescription in scripture, the sacrifices that God requires and invites his people to offer are sacrifices that are costly over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Well, and the command to, to hold nothing back, right? I mean, like you look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Um, and I, I, you know, another thing that's occurring to me that I haven't really thought about with the the commandment, and it's not just here, obviously, it's going to be in the sacrificial system that we're going to see implemented in the tabernacle and the temple. But the idea that it is a lamb that is one year old is significant because it's accomplishing communicating two things, I think. If it were younger, then the question of whether it was a viable animal would still be um, on the table. Like, is this an animal that will grow to adulthood? um, Or is it going to die in the first year of life? Um, Which would have been something, you know, in a time when when a lot of things and people didn't survive the first year of life. So by the time it's one year old, we know that it is a viable animal, but it's also not an elderly animal. It is an animal that has a lot of potential for contribution and uh, to the to the well-being of the community. And so when we think about the language in the prophets about Christ that he's cut off from the land of the living, I think that that's something that is also um, pictured in the in the choice of what this particular age and stage this animal is at, because it should be a sense of, I'm going to make a terrible analogy, but like if you have a pet that dies at the end of its life versus one that dies when it's three years old, you, you feel differently about that, right? And so that is part of the costliness of this animal is that... No, I don't. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> I'm just kidding. As uh, part of the... I don't don't make me don't make me invoke the name of Bartlett in this conversation. Bartlett, Barty. Uh, yeah. So, um, so anyway, I do think it's important for us to see, like, like from an economic standpoint, the animal represented something that it's a one-year-old right. spotless lamb. It is the most mm-hmm. valuable. Um, it has the most potential to contribute, and it has the most likelihood of a long life. Mm-hmm. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today.
We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. I think another interesting thing about the way that this story is communicated is the blood is not just a sign for Mm -hmm. the angel of the Lord. It's also described as a sign for them. Mm-hmm. In verse 13, the blood, I mean, there's a lot that's made, and certainly that's one of the principal reasons of the blood is put on the doorpost as a sign so that the Lord's judgment would pass over them. In verse 13, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you, destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this there is a sense in which the blood here, and, and the reason I say this is because Part of the reason that God is had orchestrated the blood sacrifice to begin with, which was circumcision in uh, Genesis 22, when we think about that continuing, even in the narrative with Moses, right, with uh, coming from Midian back to Egypt, right, there has to be this covering of blood. There has to be the sacrifice of blood uh, to be operating in accordance and alignment with God's purposes. Blood and the blood sacrifice is an important signifier of Israel's inclusion into the covenant promises of God. Mm-hmm. The, the whole, like, that's one of the things that's here. It's not just that the shedding of blood is required for the forgiveness of sins. The distinction of blood covering is a distinction that Israel is going to carry with them through the sacrificial system and circumcision as a part of their contrast witness to the world that they belong to a God who is not like the gods of Egypt and not like the gods of Canaan. And so I do think that it is a significant distinction here that the sign is not just an external signifier at the Passover event. It accords with a larger principle that we have that Israel is the blood-bought people. Mm -hmm. Israel is the blood-covered people. And that is a theme that doesn't just extend to Israel. It's a theme that continues uh, into the people of God uh, in the life of the church today, right? Like that we are a continuation of the blood-bought, blood-covered people. Mm -hmm. This is also why... Uh, the when we when we see the second covenant, I believe, uh, or when we see the covenant reaffirmed in Deuteronomy, we we find the people are what they're covered and splattered with blood, mm-hmm. which is a pretty visceral thing. Like mm-hmm. when you think about the story, it's like whoa. When you read some of that, of uh, the remembrance, reminder, rehashing, whatever you want to call it, uh, the recommitment of covenant fidelity that we find in Deuteronomy, there is the 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 splashing um, of blood over the people. Again, I know for us as modern listeners, it really shocks our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to love blood, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to even love the motif. Um, I am saying. This is a picture of what God's people have been from the beginning, which is a blood-bought, blood-covered people. Well, and a blood 
consecrated people because that's that's the image of the blood being sprinkled on the people because before the blood is sprinkled on the people like we'll get to this a little later in the book of Exodus it's sprinkled on every single thing in the tabernacle yeah. to to dedicate the the tabernacle the very last thing the blood is sprinkled on is the people to show i believe not just that they are consecrated but that they are part and parcel of this consecrated place it is a people and a place uh, that go together and so the blood is not simply the instrument of our you might say it this way not simply the instrument of our justification but also the instrument of our sanctification yeah mm, that's mm-hmm. good that's good. I, I don't want to overstate this, but if, because uh, I'm not meaning to throw any shame, but because there is this revulsion towards blood, or at least a question about blood. But one person who isn't kind of revulsed or kind of brought back by blood is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, I mean, I, I just was looking in the back of my uh, my Bible here. If, in, just as like a very simple tool, if you're ever wondering, uh, if you're not maybe doing biblical theology, theology, looking at the back of your Bible where there's kind of a glossary of words and thinking, where does this word pop up? That tool there is not insignificant. Mm-hmm. It matters a mm-hmm. lot. So mm-hmm. let me just kind of just highlight a few of the times the blood comes out, out in, uh, in specifically in the New Testament. Ephesians 1, redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2, we're brought near by the blood. Colossians 1.20, he makes peace by his blood. 1 Peter 1, we're uh, with the precious blood of Christ bought back. There's tons in Revelation. We're set free from our sins by his blood, Revelation 1. We're purchased people by your blood, Revelations 5. Or this one, we're conquered by the blood of the Lamb. And even the last one, Revelation 19, 13, his robe will be dipped in blood. And so there is a there is a theme here of the blood of the Lamb is what is conquers, is what cleanses, is what brings back, is what redeems, is what purchases uh, people for God. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but you know all of the Old Testament commands uh, about how blood is to be thought about or treated. Um, you know mm, that they're mm-hmm. not allowed to eat any animals that haven't had the blood drained entirely from them. Which is to say nothing for you know uh, we had Katie McCoy on mm-hmm. a while back, but to say nothing to our, our female listeners about all of the requirements around the shedding of blood related to just being a woman. And then you think about in the New Testament, Jesus' tenderness toward the woman with an issue of blood. It should be no surprise that we're only told it's an issue of blood. It's meant to imply that it is a particular kind of problem that she's having. And um, and and so everywhere in the scriptures where either um, a sacrifice is to be made or where humans are dealing with issues of blood, there is a, a, incredible care taken in the way um, that that is um, thought about and talked about and related to. And that that's because it's supposed to point us to the significance of this most precious blood of all. That's right. Now, there is a theme of significant meals that we find throughout Scripture, meals kind of marking moments. And we find that here again, the sacrifice of the the lamb is not just the covering of blood. They are to roast it. And there Mm -hmm. are specific instructions honestly, fairly detailed instructions when you think about everything else that's going on mm-hmm. in the Exodus narrative. They get some pretty specific instructions about how they're to cook, prepare, and consume this sacrifice. Hey, before we go to meals, let me just circle back to a really unappetizing thing that we forgot to mention in relation to the shedding of blood, and that's circumcision. We should definitely be tying circumcision toward this um, idea that we see in the in the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb. Circumcision would have was meant to bring to mind the significance of blood as well. That's great. Okay, let's done. talk about now meals. Talk about it's food, amazing. Kyle. <laughs> yeah, now let's talk about food. Yeah. yeah. Yum. Um, 
So there is a theme of meaningful meals throughout the story of scripture. And we're finding one here at the Passover. These meaningful meals accompany covenant promises. They accompany great acts of God. Um, I think about Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre sharing a meal with the angel of the Lord. I think about even Genesis 15 with the severed sacrifices there and the cutting of covenant. I think of certainly the Passover meal here. Think of after this, when they're gathered at Sinai. Mm-hmm. And the elders gather for a meal around the presence of the Lord. We think throughout the rest of the story of the Bible where we're encountering meals and certainly the Lord's Supper being a significant part of this. Um, I, I think I would just maybe ask this, how is the Lord's Supper connected or is it not connected at all to Passover? Is the Lord's Supper a meal that is a direct fulfillment of Passover. We don't mark Passover any longer, um, but we do, for some of us, we weekly uh, rehearse and remember the the Lord's Supper. Why? What kind of connection are there? Is there something to see here with the meal ha- being accompanying the sacrifice? I think one, one thing I would highlight for our listeners so far, if you haven't caught this yet, the, the events that we've been talking about the last several episodes in the first 15 chapters of Exodus, like in the Old Testament imagination, think about those as being like Matthew chapter 20 through Matthew chapter 20. Like they're everything, not to make other portions of scripture more significant, but there are peaks and valleys in terms of God's covenantal relationship with his people. And this is a high one. I mean, this is, it would not be an exaggeration for an Old Testament uh, saint to have said, this is our gospel. God liberated his people. He saved us from Satan's sin and death. He delivered us out of the out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. Like that's their understanding this Passover event as their liberation, their freedom, and their salvation. And so that's why that God is marking this with a meal so that they would remember who God is, what he has done for them, what's been accomplished on their behalf. And now they can celebrate as God's people in the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, no longer as slaves in Egypt, but as sons and daughters in the land that was given to them. So this is like a a huge thing. So it's such a big deal that here we are, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries later, Jesus and his disciples are being obedient to this command. As Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem, they're not just going in there to have any meal. They're there to have the Passover meal in the upper room. So at the bare minimum, Mm -hmm. Jesus and his disciples are gathering together with this Old Testament imagination of thinking God is the one who delivers. He's the one who saves. He's the one who provides for us uh, a new kingdom to be a part of that takes us from being slaves to now being sons and daughters. So that that's the imagination that you have of Simon the Zealot and Matthew and Judas and Jesus and Peter and John as they're there having this meal. The thing that it, that should blow our minds when we get to this Passover meal is it's not just that they have a Passover meal. And I think you could, it's not an overstatement to say there, some people could take great offense to what Jesus does because he reimagines the entire Passover meal and puts himself mm-hmm. at the very middle of it. So are they having a Passover meal? Yes. That's right. But in another sense, they're not because he's saying this Passover meal is actually now all about me. And he's doing so because he is the God who delivered them from Egypt. He is the God who saves them. And now he's the God who's come not just as the shadow of that uh, deliverance, but now the one who's going to offer them full deliverance uh, from all of their sin and from darkness. So this is, uh, we've talked about shadows and fulfillment or types and anti-types. 
this new meal, the Lord's Supper, is a is an antitype to this Passover meal. It's the it's the true fulfillment uh, where we're no longer just celebrating that God's people Israel was were delivered from Egypt, but now all people through the blood of Christ can be delivered from their sins. That He is the true Passover Lamb. So we're not just looking back to a, an event; we're looking now to a person and the person of Christ who has accomplished our full salvation on our behalf. That's right. That's right. Why, Jen, why don't we need to offer sacrifices of blood any longer? Well, Hebrews makes that very clear for us, uh, that the the true and better sacrifice has been offered once for all. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And then we see that, I think, very clearly. I touched on this in our last episode. We see this in, in Revelation, just nailed flush, that he's presented as the lamb slain. Uh, and then that image is carried all the way through Revelation. And so if we understand the significance of that, why would we ever approach any altar with anything other than what's already been given, you know? So Hebrews ten eighteen says, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin, or the way that the, the uh, New Living says, and where sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so our sins are forgiven, I mean, and this is what's crazy is that the, when we talk about the efficacy of Can the blood of Christ, I've talked about this before, The how, how effective it is. <laughs> you know, you think about, JT was talking earlier about how much blood, you know, uh, in terms of um, at the Passover uh, would have been spilled uh, even just at the death of the firstborn. Think about how much blood was shed on a regular mm-hmm. basis in the yeah. in the tabernacle and, and in the temple. And so to say that one lamb, one sacrificial lamb is sufficient for all of that is, is nothing short of miraculous. But not only that, but like covers the sin, covers every sin you have committed, are committing, will commit. And, and there's no longer any need for us to, to anticipate and and provide in any way um, with the blood of something else because anticipation has occurred and provision has occurred in in the extreme. That's right. That's right. You know, I think of another passage in Hebrews, having offered sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Sat down, yeah. Yeah, the sense of the, the sacrifices are dying. There is, you know, even at the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, there is what we're seeing there being instituted on Passover is like what J- J- uh, JT said. He's at the center of it. He is the fulfillment. There is mm-hmm. no longer any need for the mm-hmm. the sacrifice of lambs. Um, you know, it was never in the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats that there was forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Those were shadows. The Passover lamb, even here, is a shadow. It's a sign of something to come that would be fulfilled in Jesus. You know, I, I think a good way I was thinking about trying to how to wrap up this episode, I was reminded of this story that Tim Keller used to tell about a conversation between him and R.C. Sproul and Alec Mateer, who uh, who have all since gone to be with the Lord uh, now. But when I heard Tim Keller tell this story, I went and found it. Uh, and I thought it was really fascinating because it, it connects exactly with this. We're talking about how to make these themes and connect them. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about a conversation between Sproul and Mateer. And a question was asked of J. Alec Mateer, who was an Old Testament scholar, um, and about what would the Israelites' testimony have sounded like. Oh, there you go. You got it right there, JP. I have it by me too. What would, what would the Israelites testimony have sounded like and how would that be different from a Christian testimony? And this was the response that Keller was recollecting. 
uh, it would go something like this. We were in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God. We took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and he led us out. Now we are on the way to the promised land. We are not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us. And through blood sacrifice, we also have his presence in our midst. So he will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. And then it says that Dr. Matir concluded and said, now, if you think about it, a Christian today could say the same thing Mm -hmm. almost word for word. And I think that's a really profound connection to make between the Exodus event, the Passover event, and the story of Christian testimony is that we are brought out um, from exile. We are brought out from tyranny to a serpent king through the covering of blood and brought into the place that God has for okay. us. And so I hope that I hope you're enjoying this exploration of Exodus as we continue to try to trace these themes both before and beyond the book itself. If you uh, want to find out more about us, you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find this podcast. If somebody sent this to you and you don't know, hey, well, I don't normally listen to podcasts on whatever they sent this to me. You can find Knowing Faith on wherever you find your podcast that wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find us there. You may have heard us talk about something or you may have heard an ad and thought, I want to hear more about that. Or I want to find out more about that. If you just go to the show notes in your podcast, app, you can find links to everything that we talked about. I specifically want to highlight links to our uh, flagship sponsor this season, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's been a blast to get to partner with them. We love what God is up to over at Midwestern Seminary. You can find their information at the show notes link. You can also find a link to the 10 of those website. 10 of those is a book distributor who's uh, worked with us to create a backlog, basically uh, an archive of every book we've recommended in the history of knowing faith. They have a link in our show notes. You can click that link. If we've ever recommended a book, you can go find it there at that link in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or just theology in general? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, where you can learn more about the Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, leadership, and more, even at your own pace. Learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for free training on Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, and leadership. Go and check out these incredible resources from our season sponsor.